RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 410 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, April 23rd, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, April 26th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jake. Hello, Jake. Thanks. It's good to have you back again this week, man. It's good to be back, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was such a great episode last week to have you uh, and talk with you. It was great to have Kat on the show as well. Um, Anthony's back. Yay! Yay! Try to try to hide your disappointment. <laughs> but Kenna unfortunately needed uh, the week off, so Jake fortunately is available. So her loss is our gain, so they say. <laughs> but it's good to have you back, Jake. It's great to be back. Thank you. All right. Why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? This week, we're trekking out Picard's newest cast members and Michael Chabon's Instagram reveal. Then we hear from Michelle Yeoh about Georgiou and her upcoming series. And co-showrunners Michelle Paradise and Alex Kurtzman dish about Star Trek Discovery's sophomore finale. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, there's a new Command Dreadnought cruiser available, and it's modeled after Captain Lorca's USS Baran. Woohoo! In our... On screen segment, we're discussing the Star Trek Discovery Season 2 finale, Episode 14, Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. Of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes. So please, reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And of course, this show would not be possible without the ongoing financial contributions by our patrons over at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Thanks to their support, we can continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect from week to week here at Priority One. For those of you that may be unaware or haven't heard us talk about it before, Patreon is a way that you can support Priority One by a monthly financial contribution. And to thank you for those contributions, we have tiered levels of rewards, starting at a dollar and up. For instance, at $5, we invite you to a private Google Hangouts chat where you can talk with us throughout the week about the latest headlines or latest episodes of Star Trek. At $10, an entirely separate, unscripted, unedited podcast that we call After Hours, where we dive deep into our opinions of Star Trek or other sci-fi series. If you are interested and want to consider a financial contribution, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now, let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. If you're bummed about Star Trek Discovery wrapping its second season, leaving you with no more Star Trek for now, 
CBS wants to remind you that there is, in fact, more Star Trek in the pipeline. On Wednesday, April 17th, three new cast members were announced for the upcoming Picard series. Allison Pill, Harry Treadaway, and Issa Briones. No details have been given about the role 33-year-old Pill, 34-year-old Treadaway, or 20-year-old Briones will play. But we may not have to wait long to find out. On Monday, April 22nd, series scribe Michael Chabon posted a photo of a director's chair with his name printed in Star Trek lettering. Captioned, first day, hashtag untitled Picard series. The photo was later removed, but nothing is ever really removed from the internet. For a link to the casting announcement and a screen grab of Shaban's post, check out the show notes. The first casting that I've been excited about is Alison Pill. Why? Because Alison Pill has been in American Horror Story, which I've enjoyed. Uh, she was also in Goon, Last of the Enforcers, which was a movie starring... <laughs> Starring Stifler, and he played a hockey goon, and it was awesome. So I'm starting to think that the actual title of this Picard show is called Untitled Picard Series. Because they, like, they're shooting it, but they haven't said what it's going to be. So either they really don't know, or it's a sp- or what, or the title is a spoiler. I think. As far as the casting announcements go, I always tend to look at, at casting announcements for these shows and just see all these young actors who I've never really seen in anything and, and been like, well, how good is it going to be? I mean, I had the same reactions to Discovery, but then it turned out really well. I thought everybody did a fantastic job. So I have no doubt that they're all going to do a great job. And I mean, obviously, I'm excited about this show. Star Trek's untitled Picard series isn't the only upcoming Star Trek content. The in-development Section 31 series also looms in the shadows. Sitting down with Newsweek, Star Trek Discovery star and upcoming Section 31 series lead Michelle Yeoh talked about the new series and what we may be in store for. Quote, Section 31 is in the works as we speak. We will shoot Season 3 of Discovery first and then move on to Section 31. Section 31 will be more fun, less intense and more fun-driven. Visiting more planets going around rescuing people in our own way, end quote. Yo also talked about Mira Georgiou's frame of mind after coming to the Prime Universe, saying, quote, Because of Michael Burnham, she's dragged into this universe where everybody is so lame. She's thinking of how she's going to take over this place from that weakling Leland. That's ingrained in her from the Mirror Universe. You have to be the best one. You have to take it over. You have to play these mind games, end quote. As season two moved along, though, Yo explains how Georgiou began to change her thinking. Quote, so she's come around to understanding that if I don't kill first and ask questions later, we can sit around and think about it a bit more. End quote. For a link to the article, check out the show notes. Yum, yum. <laughs> no, no. Ugh. No, no. Don't. Don't. <laughs> so I think this is great. I, I actually, I know a lot of people were worried about the Section 31 show and what it was going to be, how it was going to unfold. I think with what we saw of where Ash Tyler ended up at the end of the season two finale for Discovery, and also Georgiou's sort of growth and her journey through season two to where she is now, I, I, I'm getting more and more excited about this. And I think that it's really going to be something, like she says, it's going to be fun instead of like, you know, so un-Star Trek-like. I think it'll be enough Star Trek that we'll get it and we'll enjoy it. And I think it's it'll it has the potential to be uh, more fun and something different uh, that'll that'll add to the variety that they're sort of developing with Star Trek right now. 
I mean, I don't know if you ever had the opportunity of watching any of the Renegades fan films. You know, that took Star Trek in a direction that we had never seen before. You know, very conflict-heavy, but, you know, still stuck to the core foundation of Star Trek, which is, you know, this is, this is we, we have to have a theme here. We have to have some sort of morality play, give a, a morality play in some way, shape, or form. Um, I am okay with... I'm okay with the Renegades concept for Star Trek, right? And if Section 31 plays similarly to that, yeah, sure, it could be fun. Um, you know, my only concern is that Section 31 and our established understanding of it were not cavalier about their presence. You know, they they were they were a secret group. I hope it's not a, a group of ragtag misfits going around the galaxy. That's my only apprehension about it. Besides that, I am not going to I'm not going to invest any emotional conceptual baggage into and to any anticipation for this this new series right i'm hoping more for mission impossible and less for the a-team yes that's a that's great that's a great comparison jake that's perfect following the star trek discovery season two finale such sweet sorrow part two discovery season three showrunners michelle paradise and alex kurtzman hit the media circuit Sitting down with E.T. Online, Discovery's new showrunner, Paradise, talked about the goals of the finale. Quote, We wanted to answer all of the questions from the season. Everything that we had tossed up in the air, the signals, the red angel, we wanted to be able to answer those questions in a way that viewers would enjoy. We also wanted to pay off the critical relationships in this season, particularly Burnham and Spock. We wanted to pay off those things that we also owe for canon. The reason that our Discovery characters, Michael Burnham in particular, have not been discussed and weren't discussed on Star Trek The Original Series and aren't part of that canon. Why is that? We talked a lot about how to do all of that. End quote. In regards to the lie the Enterprise crew and Tyler told Starfleet Command about the destruction of the Discovery, Paradise replies, quote, Wrapping this story up and being clear that because of the danger that Control presented, because of the spore drive, because of this time-traveling technology, for those reasons and to prevent any dangerous entities from trying to assess these things again, we must nip it in the bud. The lying about it is a protection for Starfleet. That's the reason they do it, and it also makes sure that if Section 31 has any designs on doing the next version of Control, that it can't get out of control, no pun intended, and create a similar problem in the future, end quote. One thing Paradise could not talk about was what was coming in Season 3. Quote, I can't say anything about season three because I would be flogged. Literally. There are people standing outside my office right now. End quote. Kurtzman, meanwhile, chatted with the Hollywood Reporter. He echoed Paradise's comments regarding the goals of season two's finale, but also discussed how moving to the future would create new opportunities for story. Quote, we love playing within canon. It's a delight and a privilege. It's fun to explore nooks and crannies of the universe that people haven't fully explored yet. That being said, we felt strongly that we wanted to give ourselves an entirely new energy for Season 3, with a whole new set of problems. We're farther than any Star Trek show has ever gone. I also had experience working on the J.J. Abrams films, where we were stuck with canonical problems. That's what led us to go with an alternative timeline. Now, we're completely free of canon, and we have a whole new universe to explore." End quote. Kurtzman went on to explain that Section 31 will be more in line with fan expectations, quote, if you're a fan of Deep Space Nine, you've probably spent the past two years saying, what the hell are they doing with Section 31? That's nothing like the Section 31 we know. That's exactly right. In Deep Space Nine, they did not have badges or ships. They're an underground organization. 
What you see on Discovery and our upcoming show with Michelle Yeoh is how Section 31 became that organization and why it was so underground by the time Deep Space Nine comes around. End quote. Did he not watch Enterprise? <laughs> <sighs> Finally, Kurtzman has heard the fans and knows we want more Pike. Quote, the fans have been heard. Anything is possible in the world of Trek. I would love to bring back that crew more than anything. It was a huge risk for us. One of the most gratifying things is to see how deeply the fans have embraced Pike, Spock, Number One, and the Enterprise. Both articles have tons of information and clarification about Discovery's sophomore season, including verification that we are jumping 950 years into the future for season three, and control has been neutralized. Be sure to check out the show notes for links. Yeah, I mean, okay, so there was another part of this article that we didn't talk about that Michelle Paradise talked about how it didn't even dawn upon them the connection between the story that they were talking about with the, the nanite technology and all that to the Borg. Um, I don't know, man, but I, I, Anthony, I felt like you with the Baul and Armas. It's the connection and the similarities are so striking that how can you not link it or, or explain it off somehow? I thought that the control, you know, versus Borg thing wasn't quite as like, I did not make that connection. I, I thought that it was a stretch to think that they were telling anything with the Borg. However, you know, I've, I've mentioned my concerns with, you know, the Baul, you know, their look versus Armis, the, even the architecture of their spires versus things we've seen in previous Trek. It does concern me that it didn't occur to them. <laughs> because they clearly are not watching enough Star Trek then if they don't at least say to themselves, oh, this is kind of like that, but we're doing it differently, so we'll be fine. And, you know, and the other thing, too, is like I said, kind of in the middle, it's not to be snarky. If you're going to comment on Deep Space Nine, right, and you're going to use the example of Deep Space Nine, okay, that's them in canon, but Enterprise happened before even, before Discovery, and in Enterprise, they were clandestine. Is it that they he hasn't seen Enterprise yet? There's a disconnect that he's not explaining, or he's not he's not choosing to share. But if you're going to talk about Deep Space Nine, shouldn't you also talk about Enterprise, which happened before all of this occurred? No, anybody? <laughs> well, maybe my my thought is that an unresolved issue isn't really an issue at all because we don't know how Section Thirty One evolved from Enterprise to Discovery. We're going to find out how it evolves from Discovery moving forward, but we don't know how that happened. So just because we don't know doesn't mean there wasn't a valid reason for it to happen. With that said, I'm making excuses. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I one of my, Some of my favorite moments about Discovery this season is when they took stories from previous Trek and expanded upon them. You know, Pike's story is an excellent example of this. And I love it when Star Trek Online does that, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure, be creative and and tell your own stories. That is also great. Do that well, you know, is the caveat to that. But I also love it when they do expand on certain elements of existing Trek. It, again, has made for some great storytelling in Star Trek Online. If he's going to show off his knowledge of Trek by quoting Deep Space Nine and mentioning Deep Space Nine, shouldn't you then also say something about Enterprise? Which happened before? I don't know. I think he assumes that none of us watched it in the past. <laughs> which is kind of a valid point. He's about a quarter right. <laughs> yeah. That is so. That is such a wrong thing to say. 
I, I liked Enterprise. I loved Enterprise. Yeah. It's the only Star Trek like show besides TNG that I watched as it aired. Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Trek It Out. Now let's find out what's happening in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. This past week, Cryptic gave us the official announcement for Rise of Discovery the next story installment for the Star Trek Discovery expansion over time. With it came the news that Rekha Sharma would indeed be reprising her role as Commander Landry. This wasn't that surprising, as she was on the Star Trek Online panel hosted by our very own Elijah during the Star Trek Las Vegas convention this past summer. What was surprising was Jason Isaacs would also be returning to play the Prime Universe version of Captain Gabriel Lorca aboard the USS Buran, which, if you've played the latest featured TFO, Operation repost you've already seen in action. The Rise of Discovery update will launch May 14th on PC. Speaking of the Buran, the latest Star Trek Online update brings with it a new Command Dreadnought Cruiser bundle of ships now available in the Sea Store. Federation captains and their allies will be able to command the Buran-class starship, while the Klingon Defense Force and allies can pilot the Kuj-class Command Dreadnought Cruiser. Fleet versions of these ships will also be available, including the Fleet Cardenas-class, which is the same class as the USS Buran from Star Trek Discovery. Included is the Universal Console Ion Storm Generator. When activated, this console makes your ship generate an ion storm with electrical bolts that will attack nearby enemies. It will also give your ship a passive boost to hull and shield capacity. These ships also have a hangar slot with either Class C shuttlecraft or House of Mokai fighters, which have the abilities Beam Overload and Aceton Beam. For a limited time, you can purchase these ships for a 20% discount until April 29th. If you buy the bundle for 4,000 Zen, you will get both of these ships, a fleet module to also acquire the fleet version, and five master keys. For details on these ships and the sale, check out the show notes. And in PC patch notes this week, the Expedient Care trait now only reduces the cooldown of kit module and captain abilities. Also, the Expedient Repairs trait now only reduces the cooldown of bridge officer and captain abilities. For links to the PC patch notes and this week's console patch notes, check out the show notes. Some events that are coming up soon. This weekend is a bonus Dilithium weekend on PC, now until Monday, April 29th. Also on PC is a Junior Officer weekend starting May 2nd through May 6th, and an Item Upgrade weekend starting May 9th through May 13th. Over on the console, you can expect the events for Double XP weekend now until April 29th, a bonus Marks weekend from May 9th to May 13th, the featured TFO Parallel Pavo starts May 9th and runs for three weeks, and a Borg Red Alert weekend is scheduled from May 16th to May 20th. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now, let's see what's on screen in the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. Computer, set Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 14, Such Sweet Sorrow, Part 2, on screen. On screen. While Leland and his Section 31 fleet move to weaken shields on the Discovery, a fully charged time crystal is raced to a completed Red Angel suit, leaving Stamets gravely injured. Things look grim as Burnham steps into the time-traveling armor, but everyone keeps a level head, getting Burnham and Spock to safety, allowing her to plot a course to the future. But it isn't working. A frustrated Burnham looks up from an unresponsive holographic display to witness something she has seen in a time crystal premonition. The Enterprise has an undetonated photon torpedo in its hull. 
on Enterprise, the undetonated photon torpedo is about nearing detonation. Admiral Cornwell and Number One have given it all they've got, and she's gonna blow. Captain Pike's presence changes nothing, so Admiral Cornwell sacrifices herself for the needs of the many, sealing the blast door from the inside and saving the Enterprise in the process. Back on Discovery, Nan and Georgiou chase Leland, who is beamed over in an attempt to secure the sphere data. The pair have been goading him into Discovery's spore drive console, and the Nana-infused operative takes the bait. Leland gets halfway through his Bond villain monologue before realizing that he's been trapped. A bloody Georgiou giggles as Leland judge dooms to his demise. While the action rages around them, Burnham and Spock surmise that in order to go forward, they must go back. Burnham must ignite the five previously discovered red bursts. Michael travels back to the USS Hiawatha, Terralisium, Kaminar, Boreth, Zahia. The five red bursts ignited, relived. Now it's time to go to the future. Spock, however, is stranded. His engine damaged during the battle. Following a heartfelt goodbye with her brother, Burnham ignites the sixth red burst for Discovery to follow with a course set for, presumably, 930 years into the future. Following the battle, Pike, Number 1, Spock, and Tyler are debriefed. They assert that Discovery was destroyed, and Spock suggests that the USS Discovery, its spore drive, crew, and the sphere AI data it carried must never be spoken of again. 124 days later, a clean-shaven Spock in a blue science tunic walks onto the bridge of the Enterprise and learns that a seventh red burst has been ignited in the Beta Quadrant. Pike orders course set to Eridan 2 before the end. All right, before we jump in, let's talk about some of the touchstones, shall we? Well, first up, Reno is asked to violate the basic laws of physics, to which she replies, uh, no. That is from a long line of great engineers to say something similar, including Scotty and O'Brien. Also, to get to the safe distance for Burnham to jump through time will take 2 minutes and 47 seconds. Spock's face is a little beat up, so you get to see his green Vulcan blood, which was kind of cool. Number one's name is finally canon, Una, which comes from the Legacy series novels and is partially an homage not only to the fact that she's called number one, but also for fellow Trek author Una McCormick, who actually penned the recent Tilly novel. Uh, We also saw the D7s in action, which was pretty cool. Burnham's advice to Spock foreshadows his relationship to Kirk, which is kind of cool. The time-traveling effect is very similar to the time-traveling effect in The Voyage Home, when the bridge crew is sort of, you know, like the, the visual is being pulled, you know, the shrieks was really neat. Spock quotes Starfleet Regulation 157, Section 3, Paragraph 18, which is the same section that Luxley from the Department of Temporal Investigation quotes to Cisco in the episode Trial and Tribulations. And then the exiting shot of the Enterprise Bridge at the end of the episode is the same shot from the cage, but in reverse when they pull in and out through the ceiling of the of the bridge. All right. Well, that was quite a bit packed in there on this episode. I was under the impression that the first time we get Una's name was from David Mack's Destiny novel. The, uh, not Destiny novel. Star Trek Discovery. His first Star Trek Discovery novel. Her name is in that novel, but the first reference of her name being Una is actually from the Legacy series of novels, which was co-authored by several Star Trek authors, including David Mack. 
All right, so let's uh, jump into our cons. Anthony, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you what you liked least about this final episode of Star Trek Discovery? I think the biggest thing for me is that, you know, I love the character of Michael Burnham, and I love Sonequa Martin-Green's performance, and I know that Discovery is all about Michael Burnham, but I'm starting to get a little bit of Michael Burnham fatigue. And I'm probably late to the party on that, <laughs> but I'm hoping this season three brings out the ensemble a bit more. You know, it's interesting that you talk about some Michael Burnham burnout because, interestingly enough, I feel that yes, that we, I mean, we we had a lot of the monologues that she would deliver. You know, that that oftentimes I felt brought the plot and the forward momentum to a screeching halt. But I would argue that I think Sonequa Martin Green was upstaged by the character of Christopher Pike. I think that, you know, one of the the leading and driving things about Star Trek Discovery was that we had an African-American woman in the lead role of Star Trek, and I felt that that was robbed of her a little bit this season. Trust me, I didn't necessarily want more of Michael Burnham, but I also think that her character could have been treated a little better this season instead of having been upstaged by Christopher Pike and being careful not to say Anson Mount because this was at no fault of Anson Mount. I think that this is just the direction that the story took and that the writers decided to take. What their intentions may have been, who knows, but it took focus away from Burnham being the, and and even Sonequa Martin-Green being the ambassador for Discovery. I think that may be a perception thing because if you really watch the last few episodes of Discovery, Pike was really there as, as window dressing. He didn't do much with the exception of the time crystal, which is, I mean, a big, a big, big deal. Burnham was the driving factor in the story. Pike kind of stood there and yelled, we need to do something. We didn't come this far for nothing. Burnham was the driving factor. I think it's just the fact that Anson Mount is such a, a great performer, and that's taking nothing away from Sonequa Martin-Green because I think she's exceptional. And the way she delivers her lines and the way she projects emotion is unbelievable. But Anson Mount is so good, and Pike is so legendary to us as Star Trek fans. I think that it's I think it's a perception thing. I don't think it's an actual thing. I, I kind of agree with you, Jake, but I think the reason is because everybody was so longing for a return to traditional, like a traditional captain that when we got that from Pike this season, it was more pronounced because we had been wanting it. I don't think that like screen time versus plot points or whatever is more in favor of Pike. I think it's still more in favor of the Burnham-Spock relationship, but I feel like because we wanted that so much, it's more in our minds. The other thing is that it's it actually occurs to me that the resolution of the Spock-Burnham relationship is more about... Spock than it is about Burnham. And I think that may be why it feels like less of a Burnham story is because in the end, it's like Burnham really doesn't get anything out of it, you know, other than giving advice as a big sister. It's Spock is the one that then has to change and grow. And I think that may be why it doesn't feel like it's as much of a Burnham story. Right. Burnham serves Spock more than Spock serves Burnham at that point. So, Jake, do you have any cons for this? I had a few cons. I did not like the fact that the Enterprise was a carrier over a cruiser. Star Trek, probably a Star Trek online thing. It's a, it's not a, it's not a carrier, it's a cruiser. Everything that happens with Burnham as far as the action, and this is more of a season-long thing than it is simply just this episode, but this episode especially, I started pulling hair out, and I'm getting old. I don't have a, I don't have that much hair to spare. Hurry up. Do what you have to do. We'll talk about it later. 
And finally, I'm not really loving Lieutenant Nan, the yum yum really comment was probably the worst one, but I'm not loving her. It has nothing to do with the actress. It's just kind of the lines that she's she's given to deliver. So, look, I could go exhaustively on, on, on what I really didn't like about this episode. I'll say this. I think that they sacrificed storytelling and cohesive plot direction for spectacle. I feel that the example of this is... Did we need the moment with the R2-D2s instead of investing those frames in developing, you know, maybe explaining the red bursts a little more or explaining why Voke is on a Klingon bridge when just two episodes ago he was forbidden from being revealed to the Klingon Empire at risk of completely collapsing the Empire, right? Com- collapsing Laurel's leadership role. Or, you know, 200 shuttles out of what we know are not cru- not carriers, but instead Starship cruisers. You know, where did these ships come from? You know, I feel that the spectacle could have served the story better in a different way. So yeah, we could have an awesome space battle, but why not when Sarek and Amanda leave say, we've brought in reinforcements. And, you know, they could be little... Vulcan escorts or whatnot, you know, but I had to suspend a lot of, I had to try to, and I, I, I didn't, I did not suspend any of this. And I, I'm calling it for what it is, is as I didn't understand why we had to sacrifice story for spectacle. I think it did it a great disservice. I think it did the story great disservice, pulling me out of believing how we've come to this moment. So yeah, that's my two cents. That's how I would have done it differently. That's how I wish the story would have gone a different direction you know uh yeah i think that's a fair critique i don't think you're you know you're not bashing on star trek that's a fair critique i agree pros what did we like about this episode jake why don't you go first so the special effects obviously were unbelievable like they've been all season long it was great to see the dual beam banks again probably a star trek online thing but the sound effects were great i've mentioned a few times i love jet reno she has some of the best lines in this in this episode like anthony said violate the basic laws of physics the scene where they're taking the charged time crystal down to the time suit. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, I wrote it down. It was so funny. She goes, he means in case one of us gets dead along the way. I'm going, I'm going. Get off my... Uh, sir, get off my... Uh, sir. I thought she makes a comment about... I mean, she's just got such great lines. I thought that Ethan Peck was great. The Klingon... I've got a lot of pros. The Klingon sets were awesome. The Klingon makeup was awesome. The Klingon acting and scenes were great. All of that was really good. The D7s were beautiful. Every woman in this episode is excellent. I mentioned that I don't love Nan, but even she was really great. They all drove the plot. They made everything happen. Spock was great. Anson Mount was great. I want I want a Pike spec show. All right, Anthony, how about you? You know, in, in the previous episode when they walk onto the Enterprise bridge, like, oh my God. And just... The scenes on the Enterprise bridge in this episode just made my heart flutter. And I need, I need a Pike, Spock, number one Enterprise show. Like, mm-hmm. I need air. Like, I just mm-hmm. need it. And I, I just, I, I, I want there to also be a classic Trek-style show, but in the new, like, style that they're doing. I think a lot of people would respond positively to that just like they responded positively to Pike in this season. And I, I really hope it happens. Episodic with a memory. I, guys, I've watched this episode three, four times already. You know, it had some 
interesting and, and impressive scenes, you know, where I, the one that really got me to go like, yeah, was when Laurel said, today's a good day to die. Mary Chifo is such a dedicated performer that she has embodied. She has, she's not, she did not half-ass being a Klingon. She embraced it. She learned the language. She learned the syntax. She learned the grammar. That's not to say that previous, I, I think that the expectations were lower in previous incarnations of Klingons. You know, when you're not, when you're a guest character, you may not want to invest that time. You know, so I'm not necessarily commenting on some of the great actors who have played Klingons before, but she took it, she has set a standard. She has set a, sta a standard for what Klingons should be on how actors should approach being a Klingon in the future. I am sad to see her go. Mm. I'm sad that we're not gonna see her in season three. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been seeing a lot of the goodbye tweets, like this has been fun. In so many words, my contract's not renewed. Thanks for the ride. So I'm sad to see her go. Yeah, I mean, aside from that, I, I honestly cannot walk away from this episode feeling any satisfaction for the story and the journey that I, I rode through for the last 14 episodes. I'm surprised you... Yeah, well... Sorry. Go ahead. I'm surprised you haven't said anything about Tilly and the Jeffrey's tube. That was a pretty great scene. You didn't like I that mean, even? If it was a fun moment. You know, speaking of moments, actually, you know, the, the scene between Colbert and, and Stamets mm -hmm. was heartwarming yep. and they delivered it well. But again, it was just hard to believe, hard to understand that the end of that journey when last episode, Colbert says, I'm leaving, you know, and and so there wasn't even a time for doubt. There wasn't even a time, a moment to see Hugh's doubt. Right, the moment where he goes, I don't belong here. No, he just shows up, you know. And I don't know. I would have. I. I. I feel they deserved more as as an openly gay couple in in the Star Trek universe. I feel that they deserved more. Uh, I will agree with you that I. It bothers me that every time something good happens to them, something bad also happens to them. That drives me a little bit crazy. Right. Why can't they, you know, let them be? Mm -hmm. Just let the, those, 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 that couple be. So yeah, I, you know, I, I have a hard time walking away from Discovery this season going, oh, wow, that was, I, I'm glad I went on that journey. And then on top of that, to only have it written off at the very end to say, well, none of this really happened. And if you talk about it, it's treason. So we're all in contempt and we should all, we're all going to be given the death penalty by Starfleet. I, I don't, I don't. Or spend the rest of our lives on Rurapente. <laughs> I don't think Starfleet does either of those for treason. They were sending, where, where were they spent, spent sending uh, Burnham? Not to the Klingon prison planet. <laughs> oh, true, true. But yeah, that's, that's my two cents. So the plan is, you know, we do our weekly, we've wrapped up this weekly review of, of Star Trek Discovery and its final episode, but at the very least for our patrons over at patreon.com, we're going to I want to get a round table of people together <laughs> and for, we really should block out like five hours <laughs> of our oh, day. Oh man, five days. And, and talk about it and talk about Discovery and season two, you know, and, and offer our our criticisms. I will say two this. hours for the I discussion with, and three hours for the therapy. <laughs> right. I want to end with this. And if you visited Priority One Podcast's website, you will have seen a blog post that I wrote. I urge all of us to be very cautious about how we treat each other in the community. I am in the camp that criticism is not the enemy of art or any form of entertainment, but in fact, an ally. And that you do not have to be necessarily be 
a creator in the medium to have your critiques justifiable. For me personally, as a singing actor, I don't necessarily value or devalue someone's opinion of my vocal ability who is not a singing actor. On the contrary, I might actually think of it as a unique perspective because they are in fact the audience. They are in fact the person this is designed to pull in. So I would caution the community to be careful about how we talk to each other, how we treat each other, and how we present our opinions. If you're going to critique, then offer some constructive criticism. If you disagree with that constructive criticism, I urge you not to tell somebody to, well, then don't watch the show. I think that does a disservice to the franchise. I think that does a disservice, right? You, you want people to subscribe to CBS All Access. You want people to watch this show. So as long as the criticism is constructive, as long as we have a professional and friendly dialogue, there's no reason that we should have insightful rhetoric. So now that the season is over, reviews are coming in, people are sharing their thoughts. If you see somebody that says something like, oh, that's lazy writing, you know, instead of dismissing it, maybe poke them a little bit, ask them, well, why did you think that was lazy writing? If they cannot articulate it, well, move on. But if somebody writes a thoughtful or attempts to write a thoughtful review, try not to dismiss it and vice versa. That wraps up this season's on screen. Discovery Season 2 has ended, and we want to hear your thoughts. Send us what you thought of the episode, either via social media or via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, and your comments could be part of the discussion next week. Now, let's open Hailing Frequencies and see what's happening. Message coming in, sir. Hailing Frequencies. Open. See? We are getting to know each other. Episode 409's community question was... Well, we didn't have one. Sorry. But as always, our listeners kept the hailing frequencies open. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell says, I'd imagine that Stowe getting more featured TFOs versus featured story missions lately is more of a bang-for-the-buck sort of consideration. It seems to take much more resources and dev time to make a new featured episode. Multiple new maps, new characters, and accompanying voiceovers, rewards, sometimes mechanics, etc., than it does to make a TFO. Usually a single map, pretty much just pew pew and some minor gamey gimmick. Clearly, from a return on investment standpoint, making a featured TFO gets and keeps more cheeks in the seats longer than a story mission. So the game developer boss's priorities will align accordingly. Do I like that that's the way that it is? Of course not. The story missions interest me personally a lot more than yet another TFO grind. But unless there's a way to get players to engage with the story missions, drive up the metrics just as much if not more than they do with TFOs, I don't see that paradigm changing. I mean, uh, of course, it's a matter of getting cheeks and seats, and it's a video game. You want to be able to uh, log in, blow something up, log out. Um, yeah, we were talking about something like this recently, too, and I I kind of agree with the TFO grind versus the featured missions. I think the answer is, the, is variety, is if you have too much of one thing for too long, like we've had three months of TFOs, it kind of gets a little boring, and we, we want something different. So, I think variety is the, is the spice of life, if you will. From Twitter, Rebecca Skipper at Skipper8210 says, Well, I have mixed feelings about the finale of Season 2 Disco. Loved the characters' moments, but hated the scene with Control's destruction and feel that it's unrealistic to expect Discovery's existence to remain a secret. 
from Twitter, Ken from Chicago writes in, ask hashtag Trek fans if they can be critical of Spock's brain, Code of Honor, Threshold, or every other Star Trek film. Groupies uncritically approve all of what they claim to love. Fans praise the good and critique the bad, so that what they love can repeat the good and fix the flaws. I completely agree with you, Ken. I don't think that one needs to be involved in the form of art or a creator in the form of art in order to give criticism. I think that as a creator, it is important to keep an open mind and an ear to people who you're trying to target or invite into the genre you're creating for. And from PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy writes, Wonderful show, everyone. Am I the only one that would have preferred a slightly simpler design for the Bridge of the Enterprise consoles and the screens as a compromise? I kind of agree with that. Just a little simpler. If it was what we had or nothing, I would definitely take what we had. What we had was beautiful. If I had to say this versus JJ, I would have uh, this hands down. I wouldn't say hands down, though. JJ's wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad, but this was better. I have to agree a little bit with Sean here. I I think it was a little bit too busy. At the same time, you know, it felt like that bridge. It really did. And I think that that's the important thing. You know, one thing that we failed to talk about in terms of touchstoning and homages is is that consoles are still explosive in Star Trek. (laughs) <laughs> right. There's, there's C4 Where, under every single console in the bridges. <laughs> C4 <laughs> under every single console yeah. and... Fourth like of July them. sparklers. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's nice. At least they kept that. Well, that wraps up episode 410 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com or on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast or find us on Twitter or Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sim, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. 
Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and Winters. Thanks to our producer and Jake Morgan for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. And Jake, as always, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su no. Engage. Both articles and tons of information and clarification about Discovery's sophomore season, including verification that we are jumping 950 years into the future for season three, and Control has been neutralized. Uh, I totally did deliver that differently. <laughs> Both articles have tons of information and clarification about Discovery's sophomore season, including verification that we are jumping 200... Angulo. <laughs> including no verification better. that... <laughs> You're right, it's not better. <laughs> <laughs> Both articles. <laughs> we were laughing about it. That's not better. Both articles are, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode four nine's community. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lawrence made a Transformers reference in the chat, and I just lost it. Oh. <sighs> Sorry, because the episode. Have you ever heard of the song "The Touch"? You got the touch. Du, du, du. You got the power. Oh, yeah. It's also in. So it's in two movies. It's in Transformers 1986 animated movie, and it's in Boogie Nights. Thanks to our producer and Jake Morgan for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. And Jake, as always, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you deliver your apologies with such sincerity, Jake. Really? I just sometimes I just want to sometimes I just want to drive up to Boston and hug you. You're like, it's okay. You're buddy. welcome anytime. What? Come it's on okay. up. Just because he sounds like he's from Boston doesn't mean he lives in Boston. Well, you he was a, he used didn't you used to live in no. Boston? No, nope. always Rhode Island or New Hampshire. <laughs> but you right don't around even, Boston, so. You don't even know him. 
Do you, I mean, I have only met do him Do you once. even Jake, bro? <laughs> <laughs> do you even Jakey's, do you bro? Jakey's, Jakey's. All right. All right. <clears throat> do I like that it's the way that it is? Oh, wow. You need to lay back on that peach schnapps, buddy. <laughs> it's like I'm having a minor seizure at the end of that sentence. <laughs> do I like... <laughs> Do I like that that's the way that it is? Of course not. <laughs> Just of, you can take it yeah, from of I course know. not. I know. Thank you. Of course not. My pleasure. <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why I wear it. That's why I'm the boss. That's why he's got the Batman the chair. The boss. The boss. The boss. The boss. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network